This is Crime Connections, and we're your host. I'm Jackie. And I'm Sarah. Welcome back, everyone. (laughs) We are so dang excited to be back. I have missed posting. I've missed researching everything. Like, I just have missed it so much. Mm -hmm. And it's wild, because we are back. We'll be posting, like, normal every Wednesday uh sarah is moving and so am i but i'm just moving like a city over so mine's not a big deal but sarah is moving like across the damn country yeah and so if we don't post super regularly because we're trying to figure things out don't hate us just stick with us well it'll go back to normal eventually yes so we'll be recording like not together which will be really wild because we've never done that before it's going to be an experience. I well, hope it's not. Sarah's kind of, no offense, but dumb when it comes to technology. Oh my God, I am the worst. <laughs> like you would think like being 24, I would, yeah, by the time we record this, I'll be 24. Ooh. Um, so, and it'll also be our year mark of when we first created this and then mm-hmm. we got everything like on the ball rolling. Yeah, so. we started with three people and then we were like nah and now we have just (laughs) (laughs) no it's just us so um yeah everything if if you're in the charlotte area and you reach out and you're not going to kill me i might hang out and get some coffee with you or if you have yeah the coffee killer yeah that's what i that i think we've talked about that before where when i met jackie i was like i told my friend and he was like what if she's the cafe killer and i was like (laughs) she's creating a crime like they're there's a hundred people that replied to Jackie's posts. So when she held her interviews for it, I was like, Oh God, what if she is a killer? And I was like, oh, I think I can, I can take her. I'd be like the worst killer in the world. Let me you broadcast it on Facebook. Hey, anyone want to meet up? <laughs> and then I'm going to kill you and get away with it. Not. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah. So by this time we will be moved. I will just be moved to a bigger place. Sarah will be moved across the country, which is to super. To a very small place. <laughs> Which is very cool. I'm very excited for her. She has a new journey ahead of her and a new career to expand her horizon, I guess you could say. I feel like when I talk, I sound really old. And then when you talk, you sound normal. No. (laughs) And I'm only 27. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so we're back. We're excited. Now let's get into it. In February of 1957, John Stockwick was checking his muskrat traps off Susquehanna. I'm honestly not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Road in Fox Chase, Philadelphia. While checking his traps, John came across a cardboard box. He looked inside and discovered a boy's body wrapped in a plaid blanket. Fearing that the police would confiscate his traps, he did not report what he had found. What a winner. Yeah. I, oh, now, you just wait. You just wait. John, you're on my shit list. When I read this, I was like, who just says, oh, my animal, dead animals are more important than well, a dead body. Well, it's probably his, like, way that he made his money, but that's very... Okay, so hide the traps. Yeah. Take Say your you traps. Are walking. I was just taking a stroll. Literally. So, a few days later, a college student, Frank Gerthrum, spotted a rabbit running into the underbrush while driving. Knowing that there were animal traps in the area, he stopped his car to investigate and discovered the boy's body. Gerthram, like Stockowick, was reluctant to have any contact with the police, but he did report what he had found the following day after hearing of the disappearance of Mary Jane Barker. Mary Jane Barker was an American four-year-old girl from Belmar, New Jersey that went missing along with her friend's dog. 
after an extensive search throughout the city, her dead body was discovered by her friend in a closet of a vacant house near her home on March 3rd of 1957. So once Gerthrum called the police on February 26th of 1957, the police opened an investigation on the deceased boy. The crime scene was combed through over and over again by 270 police academy recruits who discovered a man's blue corduroy cap, a child's scarf, and a man's white handkerchief with the letter G in the corner. All clues that unfortunately led to nowhere. However, no one came forward with any useful information when this all was released. So they were just at a standstill of who this kid was or what had happened. The boy inside the cardboard box was naked. The box was investigated and the police found that the box had once contained a bassinet sold by J.C. Penney. The boy's hair had been recently cut and the police were thinking that it was possibly after death as clumps of his hair clung to his body. There were signs of severe malnourishment as well as surgical scars on the ankle and the groin and an L-shaped scar underneath his chin. The boy's fingerprints were taken, but unfortunately nothing had come from it. The Integrated Automated Fingerprint Identification System, or AVIS, is a computerized system maintained by the Federal Bureau of Investigation since 1999. It is a national automated fingerprint identification and criminal history system. AVIS provides automated fingerprint search capabilities, latent searching capability, electronic image storage, and electronic exchange of fingerprints and responses. Unfortunately, the system was not in effect as of the time the crime had happened, but was later used, but he was still not identified by his fingerprints. The case attracted massive media attention in Philadelphia and the Delaware Valley. The Philadelphia Inquirer printed 400,000 flyers with a picture of the boy, which were sent out and posted across the area and were included with every gas bill in Philadelphia. That's crazy. That's like a lot. I can't even imagine that. No, but that's really smart on their end. Oh, I because know. That should happen like every time. I think so too, because they were doing like the milk carton went back in the day and mm-hmm. like some people don't drink milk, so they might not ever see that information if they're not posting it, but yeah. everyone has to open their gas bill unless they don't like paying their bills. But Yeah, or even if they did something like at the gas stations, they just ran through missing children. Well, they do that sometimes now. Like when I was getting gas, I saw a girl pop up and she was actually someone I wanted to cover her case. And then I found out she's a chronic runaway and she, mm. they keep finding her and bringing her back. So, and that was in Cleveland. So they, they do that sad. now, but. Cause you wonder like, why is she running away? Yeah. That's where my mind goes. Uh, the police distributed a post-mortem photograph of the boy fully dressed and in a seated position as he may have looked like in real life, and hoped that it might lead to a clue. Despite the publicity and the sporadic interest throughout the years, the boy's identity is still unknown, which ultimately means the case is still unsolved. So, some updates since, you know, this happened. Um, On March 21st, 2016, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released a forensic facial reconstruction of the victim and added him into their database. In August 2018, Barbara Ray Venter, the genetic genealogist who helped to identify the Golden State Killer using a DNA profiling technique, said that she was using the same method to try to identify the boy in the box. Amateur groups that use online databases such as the Doe Network and the Web Sleuths have also tried to identify him with no luck. Many tips and theories have been advanced in the case, but the two main theories are as followed. 
One, the foster home. There was a foster home that was located approximately one and a half miles from the site of where he was found. In 1960, Remington Bristow, an employee of the medical examiner's office who doggedly pursued the case until his death in 1993, contacted a New Jersey psychic who told him to look for a house that matched the foster home. When the psychic was brought into the Philadelphia Discovery site, she led Bristow directly to the foster home. Upon attending an estate sale at the foster home, Bristow discovered a bassinet similar to the one sold at JCPenney. He also discovered blankets hanging on the clothesline that were similar to the one in which the boy's body had been wrapped in when they discovered him. Bristow believed that the boy belonged to the stepdaughter of the man who ran the foster home and that they had disposed of his body so that the stepdaughter would not be exposed as an unwed mother. He theorized that the boy's death had been an accident and they, it was kind of like, a, I don't know what else to do, so they dumped his body. Despite this circumstantial evidence, the police were not able to find any definite links between the boy in the box and the foster family. And in 1998, Philadelphia Police Lieutenant Tom Augustine, who was in charge of the investigation and several members of the... Now, this is a weird name. I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly, but it's like Vidocu Society. And it is a group of retired policemen and profilers. They had interviewed the foster father and stepdaughter, whom the stepfather ended up marrying the stepdaughter, which is, mm, I don't even know. Seems very manipulative. Yeah, and nothing came from that interview, so then the foster home investigation was closed. And then the second theory, the second main theory, I should say, is the woman known as Martha or M. In February 2002, another theory was brought forward by a woman identified only as Martha. Police considered Martha's story to be plausible, but were troubled by her testimony as she had a history of mental illness. M claimed that her abusive mother had purchased the unknown boy, who was named Jonathan, from his birth parents in the summer of 1954. Subsequently, the boy was subjected to an extreme physical and sexual abuse for two and a half years. One evening at dinner, the boy vomited his meal of baked beans and was giving a severe beating with his head slammed against the floor until he was semi-conscious. He was then given a bath, and during this bath, he had died. These details matched information known only to the police as the coroner had found that the boy's stomach contained the remains of baked beans and his fingers were water-wrinkled. M's mother cut the boy's distinctive long hair, accounting for the unprofessional haircut which police noted in their initial investigation in an effort to conceal his identity. M's mother forced M to assist her in dumping the boy's body in the Fox Chase area. M said that as they were preparing to remove the boy's body from the trunk of a car, a passing male motorist pulled alongside to inquire, inquire whether they needed help or not. M was ordered to stand in front of the car's license plate to shield it from view, while the mother convicted the would-be Good Samaritan that there was no problem. The man eventually drove off. This story corroborated confidential testimony given by a male witness in 1957 who said that the body had been placed in a box previously discarded at the scene. In spite of the outward plausibility of M's confession, police were unable to verify her story. Neighbors who had access to M's house during the stated time period denied that there was ever a young boy living there and dismissed M's claims as ridiculous. Even though you can easily hide children, which people have proven multiple times from other cases and 
things like that. Mm-hmm. So I, that means nothing to me. So despite those two main theories, which both sound very, it's weird because they both sound very convincing to me. Like it could be either one of those. Um, there were some other theories I had found that aren't as, I guess, big, you could say. So forensic artist Frank Bender developed a theory that the victim may have been raised as a girl. The child's unprofessional haircut, which appeared to have been performed in haste, was the basis for this scenario, as well as the appearance of his eyebrows were drawn in. In 2008, Bender released a sketch of the identified child with long hair, reflecting strands found on the body. So, similar to what they think was his hair. In 2016, two writers... One from Los Angeles, California, Jim Hoffman, and the other from New Jersey, Louis Romano, explained that they believed they had discovered a potential identity from Memphis, Tennessee, and requested that DNA be compared between the family members and the child. The lead was originally discovered by a Philadelphia man who introduced Romano and Hoffman to each other and was developed and presented with the help of Hoffman to the Philadelphia Police Department and the Vito Q Society in early 2013. In December 2013, Romano became aware of the lead and agreed to help the man from Philadelphia and Hoffman to obtain the DNA from this particular family member in January of 2014, which was then sent quickly to the Philadelphia Police Department. Local authorities confirmed that they would investigate the lead, but said that they would need to do more research on the circumstances surrounding the link to Memphis before comparing DNA. In December of 2017, Homicide Sergeant Bob Colmere confirmed that DNA taken from the Memphis man was compared to the Fox Chase boy and there was no connection. So that theory was then closed. So I have some questions listening. So we don't know anything about him other than he was potentially a foster child. We don't know his age or anything like that. They don't specify, but he looks to be about seven. Seven. So while I was listening to this, and I mean, I might be going down like the rabbit hole on this. So I agree that it could definitely be like a foster child, but what are the chances? And I don't know if they have, they probably have looked into this, but what are the chances that maybe he was being sex trafficked or something? And then that's maybe why they were having him dress like a girl or I, and there could also be like, you know, sometimes kids do become more fluid with who they they know that they are inside he could yeah. have known that he was you know maybe he was supposed to be a girl and he wanted to you know have longer hair yeah. but my also my thought goes to maybe they were trying to trick someone into thinking it was a little girl and when they went to go sell him they realized no that's not a little girl or you know like yeah i'm i that is totally there's not no evidence on that but my head goes there and no one is able to find where he belongs there's no dna so it's someone that's not the system mm-hmm. so whoever did it that they know someone knows like it's been a long time but it's just a very interesting case that no one came forward but he belongs to someone he has a home or he had a home and clearly it wasn't a good home because he Mm -hmm. was malnourished and clearly had surgical scars and do we know if those were like at home surgeries or if those are like assuming because if it was an doctor surge like at a hospital they would have record right of those surgeries or if he had some sort of implants or anything like that they would be Be able able to to like trace numbers Mm -hmm. So whoever it was, they were, no offense, but a complete weirdo. You're doing at-home surgery, and there's no record of this of child. Or something, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, there's people would have been able to notice, oh, 
so-and-so's family had a, a, a child and now all of a sudden I've never seen that child again. Like mm-hmm. you'd be able to figure it out. So it was totally under the radar situation, which only shady people go all the way under the yeah, radar. Yeah, because it's now 64 years old. Yeah, so the chances are that the person's or persons involved probably aren't alive anymore, but it's still crazy and, that... Well, if he was, let's say, eight... I mean, they'd be in their late 70s, early so, I mean, 70s, they, there's maybe someone older. definitely still alive that knew him. Well, actually... If they were, like, a kid. Oh, they would have to be way older than, like, 70. I'd say they're probably in their 80s if it was their parent or something. They could have been a very young child, that, yeah. like a 15-year-old that had yeah. that kid, too. Like, they had kids younger back then, too. I mean, yeah, because... The first theory with the girl, mm-hmm. that it could have been her child, it could have been a situation where she was underage. And her parents were and hiding. her stepdad raped her. Well, yeah, that's then, completely feasible. Because You're then now he marries her. Marries your foster child? I'm sorry, that's the marries biggest... Marries stepdaughter? I'm sorry. Wait, it was their... So that was her stepdaughter? Yes. Oh my gosh, that is gross. Yes. <laughs> what happened to her mom? That's what I'm saying. So I'm wondering, like, did he rape her? She had a kid... And then they, he's like, I can't let anyone know this kid is mine because you're underage or something. And I don't want to go to jail, but when you turn 18, let's wife you up, baby. Like, yeah, like, I don't know. That seems, that whole, that man, I'm sorry, but he should be in jail. Yeah, that's gross. That's. So, yeah, I mean, there's like a lot of things that could have happened, a lot of scenarios. And on. And there could course. be a scenario that no one's even talked about mm-hmm. that involves this little boy. And this is probably one of the most open-ended cases we've covered yeah i just thought it, i just read it and i was like wow that's really sad because he's a little boy he was abandoned killed beaten traumatized multiple times if he has a healing scars as well yeah. and found in a box and then not one person said oh i don't want to report him two people did yeah i mean the one he ended up he did come because he to, felt guilty but i mean a day later like i'm what is sorry wrong with you what are you yeah no i don't care if it's money or not like you owe I don't care if you're the grumpiest, grinchiest person I've ever met in my life. You still owe it to that person. That was a human being. And Mm -hmm. I always tell everyone this. Put yourself in the shoes of that victim. Now you're their uncle. Now you're their mother. Now you're this, this, and this. And I guarantee you the way you handle it will change. You need to think of everybody as your family. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of people nowadays, they're so selfish and so self-motivated. I'm sorry. That's a little boy. You Mm -hmm. better step it up. Because he can't step it up for himself. So it's time for you to step it up. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad. So, I mean, we're back. This is our first episode back. So, thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to join us again next, next Wednesday week. for another Crime Connections episode. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review. We would greatly appreciate it. Um, if you don't like it, don't on. leave a review. <laughs> yeah, you just don't leave the just review. Keep on going. Uh, go like us on Facebook at Crime Connections or go follow us on Instagram at Crime Connections Pod. Like we've always said, if you have any information or tips, please go to contact the police. If you don't feel comfortable, go ahead and email us, DM us, whatever. Our email is crimeconnections at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week. Yes, we will see you next week. Thank you, guys. Thank you.